The teaching text for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Let's go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the most unavoidable questions of the human experience is how do we live in, in the face of all the difficulties that we confront in, in our life? Um, no matter where you are on the religious spectrum or on the philosophical spectrum or where you are in the world, the reality is difficulty, brokenness, resistance is ubiquitous. It is one of the, the, the most uh, sort of understood realities of our world. If you set out to do something good, uh, whether that's keep a nutrition plan or pray or or create something or, or build a life of love or build anything, at somewhere along the, the way, you're going to experience resistance. You're going to experience difficulty. You're going to more than likely experience pain and trouble. And how do you uh, keep going? How do you build a life um, despite that difficulty, despite those um, those challenges? And th th that's that's something that's presented to us whether we've grown up as a, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, or wherever we are in the world or on the belief spectrum. And we tell stories to one another in order to confront the most fundamental realities of our world, even when they're, they're true stories or they're, they're fables and, um, you know, and, and fiction. When we read the scriptures, uh, we can't get away from this reality of stories showing up over and over again. It's the way God presents um, his action in the world and our reaction to his action in the world. The Exodus story is uh, the salvation story of the nation of Israel. Uh, but as we see the whole arc of the scriptures, we also realize the Exodus story um, becomes the story of salvation for the entire world. It, 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 there, it, how we understand the Exodus story comes to inform how we understand the gospel, how we come to understand what God's doing in the entire story. And there are uh, lots of different ways to read the Exodus story, but there's three primary movements that we see in this salvation story that I want to make us aware of um, at the beginning of our time today. So, um, you know, most of us are familiar with this on some level, you know, whether it's from reading the Bible or from the Prince of Egypt, the, you know, the, 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 the movies. Um, the story opens with people living in slavery. Uh, the system of the world that they live in has them held captive. Um, but additionally, um, that captivity has gotten into their bones. It's gotten into their hearts. They have a culture of slavery. They are, um, interestingly, when it, when it says the people are crying out for help in their situation at the beginning of Exodus, they're not, they're not calling God by name. They're just sort of 
sending out their cry, hoping someone will hear them. And we get this picture that their cry came up to Yahweh, came up to this God who's introduced to us as the I Am. But um, the movements then that we see in the salvation story are basically this. God moves. Then the people come to know to call God by name, and then God gives them a way to follow in the world. So let's look at those really quickly from the Exodus story. God moves, God confronts the gods of Egypt one by one in these different plagues in the Exodus story. God delivers his people. They come out and in coming out um, of slavery in Egypt, they come to discover that they are God's people. Um, the, The blood of the lamb spares them from death. They pass through the waters. Their enemy is defeated and no longer has the same power over them. So the finger of God moves is is movement one in the story. The second is on the other side of the Red Sea, um, once they've been set free and their enemy has been defeated, they throw this party. There's Miriam and her tambourine and dancing and singing and celebration and they cry out, but no longer are they just crying out to an unnamed God or to the universe or to the air. They're crying out to a specific God who has a name and they call God the Lord in 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 this movement of the story. So God moves, then they call God by name. And then they come to this place where God gives them a new culture, a new constitution, a new framework for life. Your life has been defined by slavery. Now it's going to be defined by being my people adopted into my family, bringing my kingdom. And he gives them the law on Mount Sinai, the way of God. And here's how you follow the way of God. And it touches every aspect of their life. It is incredibly granular and practical for how they are to live. And their future is tied to how they walk in the way of God. God makes a very big deal about their trust and their obedience to this to this law, to these words. Um, and it was life. And even though we read some of the law in Exodus and it feels so bizarre to us, we forget that we're dealing with a nomadic tribe moving in the wilderness and some of the, the dietary restrictions and how they deal with conflict and how they set up their camp. It just feels so obscure and primitive to us. But this is God dealing with their, their life. And it was so radical, especially when you compare it to the other ways of life or the surrounding nations. Israel was meant to be this light in the world, distinctive from the rest of the world. But we see these movements, and this informs um, how the rabbis would come to discuss what must be present for the kingdom of God to be known. Um, it is that the finger of God moves, the people call God by name, and then the people come to obey the ways of God. There's a Bible teacher that's been a big help to me, Marty Solomon. He has a podcast called the Bama Podcast. And, um, and he makes the point that um, we, we Christians in, of the Protestant Western American church uh, are really good with a couple of these movements. We, we're all about God has to move. Our salvation is by grace. God has to do it. He has to set us free. We're really good with calling God by name. You need to learn the right name for God. You need to learn to call out to, to, to Jesus for your salvation. But, but many Many of us have lacked quite a bit when it comes to actually obeying the way of life that Jesus or, or God has set out for us um, in, in the Gospels. And, and one of the bananas things about this is that we need all three movements for the kingdom to be fully expressed, for, for you know, our, our life to be what God intends it to be. But the bananas thing is that we use um, grace as an excuse 
for not following the way of Jesus, which is we disconnect these three movements of the salvation story uh, in a really interesting way. We get so afraid um Almost like, and this is only in certain segments of the church, so this may not be your experience, but many will know exactly what I'm talking about. We use a, a fear of a works-based salvation to ignore our Savior's teaching. We, we're so afraid of, of drifting into legalism or earning our way that we, we come to ignore the things Jesus teaches. We make, we make our life just about getting a certain set of beliefs about God sorted out in our heart or in our mind. And that's the only thing. And then we sort of hang on and wait for heaven. And that just is nothing to do with what Jesus is actually presenting to us in the gospels. If you're interested actually on Jesus' take on that, of having a belief only system of salvation that doesn't impact the granular details of your life and practice, I present to you the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Jesus said, if you do this, your life is headed for a great crash. And the thing is, this reality has been present from the very beginning. Look just at the order of how the exodus takes place. This this paradigm for a salvation story that has uh, that gets carried out throughout the rest of the story. God moves. God saves. God rescues. There's no way around it. Then God teaches God's name. God says, this is who I am. This is how you can refer to me. This is what you can call me. Jesus is our salvation. It is by grace. But then God shows us the way and we walk in it. And that is obedience. And that is full life. And that is abundance. No one reading the Exodus story thinks, oh, they got out of slavery. They were rescued because they were obedient to the law of God in Egypt. They earned their way. No one reading this story, it's just it would be completely out of order to make an assumption like that. No one reading the whole story says, oh, it doesn't matter at all how we live because we got out of Egypt by grace. This kind of mess happens to us when we try to divorce theology from the story. And we try to take it out and make it these sort of like you know, interesting principles that are supposed to stand on their own, but they lose their context inside of the story. And so you get someone like Martin Luther, who was tremendously right in, in the Protestant Reformation when he you know, reads Romans and says, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. There's absolutely no way that we can earn it whatsoever. And it's a, it's a true and proper correction of the theology of his day, but he was wrong. He was wrong in wanting to get rid of practical life obedience to the way of Jesus. You know, Martin Luther famously said we should get rid of the book of James, which is like wisdom literature in the New Testament. Here's how this impacts your speech. Here's how this impacts your forgiveness. Here's how this impacts your heart's you know, longing for, for greed. And, 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 and so we see uh, Martin Luther getting it really right in some places and then getting it, I think, really wrong in other places. And, and creating this unhelpful disconnect between the salvation that we receive through grace and the life that we live through grace (laughs) that actually impacts the real details of our life. Because here's the thing, every time we obey the words of Jesus, the way of Jesus, it is grace. (laughs) 
It's grace at work in our lives. Grace is not some just, you know, ethereal force out here that stamps our ticket for heaven one day. It is the very thing that leads us to ask for forgiveness, that leads us to humble ourselves, that leads us to to get up early and seek the Lord, that leads us to to secret generosity, that leads us to an enduring fight for justice in our city, that, that leads us to confront the brokenness of the world around us with the love of God. But culturally, we seem not to, uh, maybe this is even an understatement, not to love the concept of obedience. It's just not our favorite word. It's not our favorite idea. For some reason, it somehow gets associated with, with weakness or subservience or, or like we're somehow not thinking for ourselves if we're obedient to something else. But when Yahweh speaks to Israel and when Jesus speaks to us, to the world, essentially he says, look, I'm setting the way of life before you. Here's the way of life. Here's the way of death. Choose life. It really matters on a daily basis that you choose life. There are spiritual laws, spiritual realities as ingrained in our world as natural laws. If you drink and eat certain you know, certain substances, they will nourish you or they will poison you. And the reality is, if you ignore that, it is to your own detriment. If you, it, gravity and this part of our universe works in a particular way, if you ignore that natural law, you are going to find yourself getting injured. And the exact same thing is true in spiritual laws. And just because we can't see them as readily and evidently as the natural laws in our world, they are there. And Jesus says, if you build your life, on hearing and practicing my words, you will have a good foundation. You will be able to address one of those fundamental primary questions of the human experience. How do we live in light of all this resistance? If there's no connection between your hearing and your practicing, then you're in an unstable place even if you're not aware of it. You are not going to endure. So let me say as clearly as I can, there is a crucial place, a crucial place for obedience in a salvation story that is entirely by grace. There's a crucial place for obedience in a salvation story that is entirely by grace. One of the ways uh, a theologian I have deep respect for, Dallas Willard, put it is, God is not opposed to effort. God is opposed to earning. And so we've been pulled out of slavery in Egypt, and now we follow the way of God because we're free, not in order to earn our freedom, not in order to earn our love, not in order to earn our place, but because we have a place, because we're in the family. Let me give you one more framework piece that I think will be really helpful for hearing what Jesus is saying here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew ends the telling. Matthew 7 is is where our teaching text came from. It's at the end of the Sermon uh, on the Mount. Matthew gives it to us like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority 
not as their teachers of the law. And this translation of this word authority here has so much weight. Uh, Basically, Jesus wasn't just building on what the rabbis of his day had put forward already about Torah. He's teaching something in a way like they had never heard. Like he's, he's putting something forward that was revolutionary, that was groundbreaking. It's not without a foundation. It's absolutely building on Torah. But he hadn't gone through the normal progression and steps that a rabbi of his day would do in conversation with the other sort of accepted teachings of the time. He's putting something that's like almost like God is there speaking to them. This is what it's really about. This is how you read this. And Matthew gives us this phrase that when we first hear it doesn't mean a ton to us, but he ends saying, when Jesus had finished saying these things. When Jesus had finished saying these things. And when you first, when you first hear it, It's a little bit like being on a hike and being on a trail and seeing a a little blue arrow painted on a tree. You see a a, a blaze marking a trail. And the first time you see that blue arrow, you think, oh, oh, okay, I must, you know, maybe I'm on a trail. You begin to register a little bit of your surroundings. But the second and the third and the fourth time you see it, you know that you're following a path. And Matthew gives us this exact phrase five different times. And the last one, he changes it just a bit in, in Matthew 26, when Jesus finished all all these teachings. So he's giving us Jesus' teaching in five blocks. Each of the four accounts of Jesus' life are accomplishing a little something different. They're all giving us a full picture of this Messiah of Israel and Savior of the world coming and and, and demonstrating and, and giving us the kingdom of God. But Matthew in particular is written for a Jewish audience and they're not going to ignore the blazes on the tree when Jesus finished all these teachings and over and over tracing back that little marker through the story. It's five blocks. And that, that number is going to mean something. This is a re-giving five sections of important teaching. It's a re-giving of the Torah. It's the five sections of the Pentateuch. It's also really interesting that when Jesus gives this teaching, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has defeated the enemy uh, of the people of God through, through you know, resisting temptation. He's passed through the waters of baptize, baptism and he's heard God affirm him as son. And then he lays out the way of God. It's very much like the movements of the salvation story in Exodus. He lays out the way of God. Let me show you what the kingdom looks like in the practical realities of your life, just like the law in Exodus. So Jesus says, therefore, Anyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. What's he referencing? He's referencing the very teaching that he's been doing in the Sermon on the Mount. But I think it could also be uh, you know, said to, to apply to everything that we see Jesus teaching in the Gospels. And that's where we're going to be this summer. I will, I, we're going to spend this summer meditating on, looking at, learning from, being instructed by the words of Jesus. And I can't wait for you to hear the lineup of teachers uh, we have uh, c- coming to you this summer on the broadcast. You are not going to want to miss a single week. Some dear friends, some other pastors in the city, some of our, some of our leadership and elders, um, but each week Week, we're going to take a, a, a section of the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and see how can we hear this and practice this in our lives. And this incredible promise, I want to, to set the tone for our entire summer. When we hear and practice the words of Jesus, we are building our life on a foundation. 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has covered so much real life. Go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you just see over and over again, he's showing them what real life, what abundant life, what the invitation of God looks like in practical living. What does a truly blessed and happy life look like? That's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. How do you live that way in a culture that is resistant to it, that's going an entirely other way? How do you live this alternative way? He, he goes back to Torah. Hey, your society is going to break down if you kill one another, if you tear apart the family through adultery. But he goes further than that. He said, you've heard it said you shouldn't kill anyone. Absolutely. Massive detriment to thriving communities if you kill one another. But I'm telling you, don't let anger or hatred live in your heart. That too can tear apart the fabric of your community. You've heard, don't sleep with someone else's spouse. I'm telling you, don't let lust live in your heart. It can tear apart the fabric of your society. You begin to objectify another human being. You tear apart their body from their soul and it does a really damaging thing to you and to the other person. You've heard it said in the patriarchal society of the past times that a man could divorce his wife for any reason that he wanted to if he gave her a certificate of divorce. I'm saying to you, actually, you need to see this in the framework of God's covenant love and see the tremendous power of the covenant-keeping promise-keeping nature of our relationships. What about the promises that you make? What about when someone has wronged you and you have the right to take revenge? How do you deal with your enemies? How do you care for the needs of the people around you in a practical and systemic way? How do you pray? How do you talk to God? Can you pray with your words and your body? What should matter most to you? What do you do when you're worried or you're anxious about today or tomorrow? How far should you go in making final decisions or judgments about other people? Where should we leave room for God's grace to intervene? What are the marks of a life of deep connection to God? These are the actual subjects Jesus covers in the Sermon on the Mount over and over. And this is why the people said he taught with authority because you've heard it said, you've heard it said, law of Moses, but I say to you, law of the kingdom. This reality that, that covers our holistic being. The Sermon on the Mount is what life looks like in the kingdom of God. Avoid these life stealers. No matter how tempting they look on the surface, they degrade your experience as a human being. They tear apart your relationships. They tear apart your sense of self. They, 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 they damage how you understand and receive God's love. They damage how you move throughout the world. Avoid these life stealers and then walk in this abundance. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in mercy. Walk in justice. Walk in the intimate communion of prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Right? These are the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Not to earn your salvation, that's absurd. But because God has moved and we have learned his name, we obey out of freedom and love in order to further freedom and love. We're brought into the kingdom and we live the way of the kingdom to see the kingdom grow, to be part of the answer to the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that other people would experience the life of God and the practical realities of our real days. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is pulling so many threads together. I'm not even going to deal with the thread that just down the road, people might even be hearing the construction as Herod was rebuilding the temple on the rock that was supposed to be this building, this place for God's presence to dwell that was going to last forever. And we know historically that it was not going to last forever, that 70 years uh, or, or so later, it was going to be torn down. And Jesus is saying, yet there is a place I'm building a substantial foundation in the world. He tells Peter, you're going to be the rock on which I build the church. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it begins to fill people and we become this living temple in the world and what our life is built on really matters, but we're not even going to get there. What I want to say as we wrap up today is this, what connects hearing to practice? Many of us, many of you have heard so much, but our hearts get a little sad <laughs> Our minds get a little defeated when we realize how much we've heard and how little we practice the way of Jesus. So what connects hearing to practice? What is that connective tissue? I want to tell you something that I hope doesn't come as a massive surprise. The connective tissue is supported and sustained by grace. So once again, the movements of salvation, God moves. We learn to, to call God by name and God gives us a way of life to follow. All of that is absolutely saturated by grace. But I want to give you what I think are a couple of the fibers of the connective tissue between hearing and practicing in the kingdom of God. It's when grace shows up in your life like these things, willingness. Willingness, a fundamental posture of our heart where we say there's a desire in me to walk in the way of Jesus. I actually see this as truly life. So it's a look into our heart and if we don't find willingness, that's where we begin. We ask that the grace of God would spark, would grow, would begin a willingness to follow the way of Jesus in our heart. And I want you to see as I set up these connective tissues, you can see them sort of like a cycle of maturity and growth. And so we have willingness as a stop in that cycle. Another one is just intention. Um, another way to say this would be making a plan, having an imagination for, for, for what a, a life of maturity looks like. Dallas Willard has this famous framework for discipleship, vision, intention, and means. We have to have a, an imagination of what a, a life of abundance, a life in the way of Jesus would look like. Uh, then we have to have intention. We have to plan to do it. We have to actually get it into our schedule, get it into our life. And then we have to have the means. We have to have the grace. We have to have the follow through. So we need willingness as one of the stops that connects hearing to practice, a desire in our heart to walk in the way of Jesus. Then we need intention. This is planning. This is imagination. This is uh, making a, a concrete plan to walk in the way of Jesus. And we want you to know, as your church family, we are absolutely here to support that. Something our leaders are doing, something I'm doing, is I'm trying to make a plan, okay, in the, in the sections of July and August of my year that look a little bit different than February, you know, January and February, look a little bit different than October and November. This is a, a, a new time of year. There's a little bit of a different rhythm. I'm going to be doing some 
travel with the family. I'm going to be in, in hotels. What are, the, what are the anchor points of my plan for connecting with God on a daily basis? How do I, what, what's my practices plan for, for walking with Jesus? And if you're looking to make one of those in your life, you've got the willingness and you want to make some intention, you want to make a plan, you want to begin to imagine this, we have some resources for you. tgcparkslope.com slash grow. There's a PDF on there that helps you build a summer practices plan or a fall practices plan. It's just a series of questions to go through and say, what is the daily practice of my life? For me, there's just certain things I have to do. On, on, On my best days, I have some point where I get my heart rate elevated a little bit through some exercise. It just makes me feel better. It helps my mental health. Um, it, it's a big part. So I, I need to get my heart rate up every day. I need to commune with God. I need to be in his word. I need to be pouring out my heart, praying or, or journaling some way that I'm communing with God. And then I need to create. I need to creating for me, whether it's writing a poem or or, or putting a couple of paragraphs on a short story or or coming up with a new idea, it's beginning to to pull these connective fibers of my life together and see the pattern God God has at work. But you need to figure out what are the essentials of your morning? What are the essentials of your evenings? How, what's the plan you have for following the way of Jesus? So the connective tissue between hearing and practice is willingness it's intention, and then it's follow-through. It's actually walking out your plan. It's seeing what it looks like to take these practical steps of obedience. And then it's checking back. It's going back to the words of Jesus and seeing, am, am I still on track? Am I still following the pattern? Where have I gotten off? And this is why, you know, this is why we have confession and assurance of pardon in every service that we have. It's because we're saying, I want to return back to the pattern of the life of abundance that Jesus is offering in any way, in word or deed, by what I've done or left undone, that I've drifted from this intention of following the way of Jesus. I want to return because all of it is saturated by grace. But I want to say the last thing is your checking back can't be alone. You check back with other people. We do this in community because someone else is going to help you see this little blind spot that you've got in your life because of this 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 wound or or this you know this frustration or this you know particular you know moment of the circumstances of your life that that you just can't see because you need the help of community. We're not meant to follow Jesus alone as a solo journey. But the connective tissue between hearing and practicing looks like willingness, looks like intention, it looks like follow through, it looks like checking back, but checking back in community. It's really interesting, the two foundations in Jesus' parable here, they don't really get exposed until life gets difficult. So basically the life on the sand and the life on the rock might look the same when things are going wonderful, but when the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, the two houses show their foundation. This is something the American church needs to hear. Maybe some of you need to hear. A life of belief only is prone to collapse. It is not going to give you the abundant life, the expression of the fullness of the kingdom of God that you're hoping for. A life of hearing and not doing is prone to collapse. 
But if that begins to heap shame and guilt on you, let me say this to you as well. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he hasn't done himself and that he won't be with you in the middle of. I'm not calling you to a life of working over here out of your own willpower for God. I'm calling you to a life of intimate connection to God rescuing us, to God teaching us his name, and to God showing us his way of life in the world. And all of them are a part of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. He is the one who picks picks us up when we fall. He is the one who gives us his saving grace, who teaches us his name. He is the one who connects our hearing to our practice. The last thing I, I want to mention is when I find barriers in my own life between hearing and practice, we've talked about the positive connective tissue, willingness, intention, follow through, community. When I see barriers in my own life, when I see them in your lives as we, we talk pastorally in, in our church, I, I see a couple of things show up. Um, uh, a couple of barriers to this connective tissue between hearing and practice. One is lack of trust. And basically this manifests like somewhere underneath what I might say or, or you know, what, what I think someone else you know, might want to hear is that I'm just not sure God can really meet the needs of my life and soul. My loneliness, my sexual appetites, my ambition, my desire for life to be a particular way, what I actually think would meet the deep needs of my life. I'm just not sure God's really a good enough father to provide those things in a way that's going to be satisfying to my soul. I understand that. (laughs) But we need to see what it is. It's a barrier between our hearing and our practice. I'll give you another one. And this is another expression of that. It's pain and disappointment. My lack of trust is not just an idea. It's based in reality that there have been things that have deeply wounded me, deeply hurt me. I've been discipled by my disappointment. I've been, I've been hurt and I'm not sure God really cares or that God can be relied upon. A barrier between hearing and practice. Another one, and this is massive in our world, is distraction, right? Lack of trust Uh, Being discipled by our pain and disappointment, those are things we can sort of identify. But I want to tell you, distraction is the silent killer. You know, we have all these intentions of what we want to do, but we never get to the follow through. And the reality is we look at our screen time. We look at how much our work fills the space of our life. We look at our actual focus. We look at what our mornings look like, what our evenings look like. And we realize that our time is being absolutely eaten alive. This incredible gift that we have to, to, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as our, ourselves, to, to walk in the way of life in abundance is being eaten up by this sort of distraction, this silent killer. I'll give you one more. This, this happens to me. It's advanced defeat. I, I've tried before and I wasn't able to, 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 to do it. How am I going to get back on the horse? How am I going to continue again? Um, you know, this is just an ex, a form of discouragement. My, my barrier between hearing and practice is advanced defeat. I'm just, I'm just sure I'm not going to be able to do it. And let me tell you, and this is very broad strokes here, but this is true and it works, is that, um, In every single one of those barriers, the pathway forward is asking for help, is realizing that the Jesus who's putting out this way of the kingdom is also the Jesus who is our Savior, who's gone to the cross on our behalf, 
who, who's resurrected on our behalf, the same power that lives. We're not doing this on our own willpower. We're doing this by the power of his spirit. So we have to absolutely ask for help when we find lack of trust, when we find we've been discipled by disappointment, when we, when we find we're, we're living in this place of distraction, when we find we're beaten down by discouragement and, and advanced defeat, we need to ask for help. Ask for help from God and then ask for help from those around you. Who, who love you, who are willing to walk in this way of Jesus with you. That's what grace looks like when it filters down into our willingness, into our intentions, our imagination, into our follow-through, into our checking back and checking back with others. Church, there's nothing that could define our summer in a better way than hearing and practicing the words of Jesus. It is a way to build our life on a true, firm, lasting foundation, on the way of love that is demonstrated in the very heart and character of our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this God who is community and is sharing His very, the substance of His very life with us as we live in community and we experience the reality of his kingdom. As you hear the words of these teachers throughout the summer, please, let's not stop at just hearing. Let's find those positive connective tissues carried by grace and the power of the spirit to making this a practice. And if you're wanting to make following the way of Jesus a practice in your life, our churches, one of our church's primary purposes is to help and support you in that, to get you connected to a group of people who will do it with you, to help you craft a plan for doing this on the daily basis in your life to to actually pull down into your schedule loving God with your heart soul mind and strength loving your neighbor as yourself church this is abundant life let's press in this summer heavenly father will you come by the power of your holy spirit and fill your people with willingness with intention with follow-through God, help us to, to want to walk in your ways, to plan to walk in your ways, and then to step forward in walking in your ways all by grace, all by your Holy Spirit. Come and fill us up with your very life. What a gift, God. You promised to do this. You prayed for this, Jesus. Right before you went to the cross, you prayed, let them have a share in what we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have shared from the beginning of the, of the world, from before creation. You're letting us in on this, God. May we take this invitation and run with it. May we walk in your joy. Fill us with your spirit. May we hear and practice the words of Jesus to honor and glorify you, to live an abundant life, to take care of one another well. In Jesus' name, amen.